Good morning. Amen. Great to be with y'all. We are the house of the Lord, right? We're the ones that sanctify this building, by the way, because of our presence is set apart for his glory, right? And our good, and our good this morning is definitely to worship God together as the body of Christ. Uh, this morning, we embark on part two of the Christian marriage. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, and we will read chapters of chapters, verses 22 through 33. You know, when you're right to read that many chapters. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Let's go ahead and stand together and we'll read God's Word together. The public reading of scriptures. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands are also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we're reading this, we're reading your will for your church, but also for marriage, the Christian marriage. The Christian marriage is made up of a a son of yours, a daughter, who are disciples, followers of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And together in union, the marriage, God, our marriages are to exalt the Savior, to point to him, his love, and, and our submissiveness to him. And so, God, you've just elevated marriage to the, the highest of all heights. It exists to exalt Christ. And so, Father, I pray that our hearts, our bellies, our souls would yearn and burn towards this end. That in our homes, before our children, before one another, Christ would be exalted as we fulfill the duties which you've called us to. The duties of a husband and the duties of a wife. So, God, renew our minds this morning with this precious passage of Scripture, strengthen our marriages, and therefore, Lord God, as a result, strengthen our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Matthew Henry writes this, quote, Now I know not anything that will contribute more to the furtherance of the gospel than the bringing of family religion more into practice and reputation. Here the Reformation must begin, end of quote. 
When he says the quote, the bringing of family, when Matthew Henry says the bringing of family religion more into practice, he is referring to the responsibility that the husband and wife have to manifest Christ in their marriage. That's what he means by religion. He's talking about Christianity. And the responsibility of the husband and wife to manifest that, that precious relationship that Christ has with his church. That's why, as we read verses 22 through 33, you see these two contexts woven together, didn't you? We read them. The husband and the wife, Christ's church. And, and Paul's just weaving these two relationships together because the marriage is supposed to reflect Christ and his church. That means what Matthew Henry is saying is that they walk in the ways of God as a husband and as a wife. The husband and wife walk in the duties that God has spelled out for them in Scripture. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the duties of marriage. Now, last week we looked at the purpose of marriage and the foundation of marriage. This morning and for next week we're going to look at the duties of the husband and wife. And I've broken them down into three categories. Mutual duties, the wife's duties, and the husband's duties. We're going to look more at the husband and wife's duties next Sunday. This morning, I want us to look at the mutual duty that we both have together, the husband and wife. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next two Sundays, this morning and next week, is look at the duties that God has assigned both the husband and the wife. This morning, we're going to cover the mutual duties. But before we do, I want to explain what I mean by duties. Okay? You hear the word duty and you think it's just something rote. It's a, it's a consistent, habitual pattern and you just got to do it to get it done. I, I really don't mean it like that whatsoever. I do mean, first of all, there's a responsibility. When you think of duty, think of it as a call from God. As a wife, she's called of God to, to perform certain duties. As a husband, he is called, because God is what? If we learned last week, he's the creator and designer of marriage, right? So within that framework, he has prescribed for us certain duties, certain responsibilities. Some for the men, some for the women, and some are what? Mutual. Okay? We're going to be really... Um, you're going to see this, okay? Before we get to submission, ladies, let me, let me ease your minds for a minute. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an example, actually, using the text. In verses 22 through 33, I want you to notice how many verses are devoted to the wife being submissive. 22, 23, and 24. And then notice how many verses are related to the husband's responsibility to love their wives. One, two, three, four, five, six. The law of proportion. Okay, let's go with that, right? So when you look at this passage, look at the law of proportion. Much more weight is given towards the husband than the wife. Here's why. Because submissiveness to the husband depends on his love for her. Why do we submit to Christ? Because of his love for us. So, so the weight of this passage really lies on the shoulder of the husband. And we'll look more at, at submissiveness of the wife and love of the husband next week and how they, how they work together. Okay? We're going to touch on that a little bit this morning, by the way, when we look at mutual responsibilities or mutual duties. So when I use the word duty, it's not just simply a fulfillment of a responsibility or a calling from God. It is it involved, it's not just 
I go through the routine. I go through the motions. It is not sheer habit without affections. So when you think of duty, think of duty as God wants it to be a delight when you do that duty. Okay? Do you want your children just to obey you for the sake of obeying you? As is something routine? Or do you want them to obey you because they actually love you? Do you think our Heavenly Father wants us to obey Him just to do it? Or does He want affections to be behind that obedience? You get the picture? That's, that's what we mean by duty this morning. So by using the term duty, I will admit, okay, up front, that there are times where I don't feel like doing my job as a husband or doing my duty as a husband. There's times where you as a wife don't feel like doing your duties, but you do them anyway. So sometimes we are called to do the duty, so to speak, without the affections behind them. The Word of God clearly says, fulfill it, do it. But duty without affections, duty without the love behind it, is like a warning sign, a neon sign going off in your heart saying, mayday, mayday, danger, danger, watch out, watch out. I call it a time to pray. You do the duty. I, I, I love my wife. I do whatever task I need to do. And though I'm not driven by affections, it's with the absence of affections as a warning sign in my heart that sin is crouching at the door, so to speak. Does that make sense? And so I must pray. You know what I pray sometimes? God, fan the flame of love in my heart again towards my wife. Well, the, wife the, the wife should pray the same thing. Because this love, by the way, that we read about in Scripture, that we're to love one another with, is not a human love, is it? It's, it's the divine love. It's a love that is placed there because of the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This 1 Corinthians 13 love. And we all struggle with it, don't we? So I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about the wife's duties or the husband's duties and not be without reality. The real picture is there's times we this, this affection that's supposed to be driving these duties as a husband and as a wife, that, that there are times that they're just not there. But I encourage you to do them anyway. Do it before the Lord. And then do it prayerfully, asking for God to what? Fan the flame of affections back in our hearts once again. Because the absence of affection is like a major red flag of what's going on in our heart. And sin very well could be crouching at the door. So it's a time of prayer. So I said all this last five minutes to say this. Every time I use the term duty, I use it with the hope that the duty is carried out with loving affections behind it. Okay? Makes sense? All right. There's really only two I want to talk about, and actually they dovetail beautifully together. The first one is this, love. Oh, God, it's really easy, isn't it? Let's, just, let's flesh this out a, bit, a little bit. The first mutual duty is love. When Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 2, he says this, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Who's he writing to? Christians. And what kind of marriage are we talking about? The Christian marriage. So both the husband and the wife are disciples of Jesus Christ. So according to chapter 5, verse 2, both are called, right, to imitate the love of God to one another. Right? So this duty undergirds and drives all the other duties. This is the, this is the life and the soul. This duty of loving one another is the life and the soul of the Christian marriage. The duty of both the husband and the wife. 
Without, I read this, without this duty, marriage is like a dead carcass or a rotten apple. It looks like marriage on the outside, but no life within. It might look like apple on the outside, but you dare not want to bite into it because it's rotten within. One writer put it this way, unless there be a joining of heart and a knitting of affections together, it is not marriage indeed, but it show and name. And they shall dwell in a house like two poisons in a stomach, and one shall ever be sick of the other. End of quote. So, you know what my motive is for making this little section of Scripture, 2233, a three-part series? Is that God, wherever you're at, you can be loving one another great, greatly, wonderfully. You have a good time in your marriage, okay? Wherever you're at, if God would just increase that love for one another in your marriage, okay? Wherever you find yourself at, okay? Now, one might say, according to Ephesians 5, 25, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. It says, husband, love your wives. Doesn't say to wives, it's not their responsibility. Theirs is to submit, verse 22. So what are you going to do with that? Well, a couple of things first. I say to that, this. Paul is writing about a matter of emphasis. Paul's writing about a matter of emphasis. He's emphasizing the wife's responsibility and emphasizing the man's, but it doesn't mean they're not supposed to how about this? It doesn't mean when he says wives submit that they're not supposed to do it lovingly. Or when he says to the husbands love that they are never ever to show any submissiveness whatsoever. You know, sometimes in a marriage, and maybe sometimes a lot of times in a marriage, when the husband's not walking close to the Lord, he better be dependent upon his wife a little bit, a lot more. You, you see what I'm saying? There's a oneness here. We'll get into that just a little bit later, particularly next week. But first, Paul's writing about matters of emphasis. Just because the husband is called to love does not mean the wife should not love. And likewise, just because the wife is called to respect her husband does not mean the husband should not respect his wife. Second, I would also like to point out the command to love one another. For example, in John chapter 13, you have to turn there, verse 35, Jesus says, All men will know you're my disciples, your love for one another, right? Well, he's talking to who in that context? Is in the upper room discourse is beginning. He's talking to his disciples. Well, we're talking about the Christian marriage. So that wife is a disciple. That husband is a disciple. And so what we're talking about, we talk about mutual love for one another, is the application of what Jesus says. All men will know, you'll know you're my disciples, your love for one another, which would include, in application, the marriage. Correct? Third, looking at the context itself, Question, does Christ desire, just look at the wives, be subject to your own husbands to the Lord. What about the church to Christ? Remember, the larger context here is, is what? The, the church being subject to Christ. So does Jesus want your and I's obedience to him to be loveless obedience? Without affection? No. Well, neither does he want the wives. Her subjection to her husband ought to be driven by a love and affection towards him. Finally, if you're not convinced, which I'm sure you are by now, Titus chapter 2, verse 4 reads, Older women encourage younger women to what? Love their husbands. Titus 2, 4. I say that with flat. The nail it. Okay, it's nailed. Done. We're done with that. Now let's look at the qualities of this love. I wanted to look at, there's like eight things here. 
It's kind of like looking, holding up a diamond. And you look at all these, the cuts of this diamond. There's many, many aspects to it. There's many sides to it. And so let's look at that for a minute. We're looking at the mutual responsibility to love one another. And now we're going to look at this love. Number one, this love is strong. It's strong. It's so strong that they are willing to leave their families to start a new one. It's so strong they are willing to give up and leave their families and cleave to one another, be bound one to start a new family. It's so strong that when trials come, when trials enter into the marriage, and they do, instead of that trial weakening or breaking the marriage relationship, that relationship, because of their love, is actually reinforced and actually strengthened. They're bound closer together. We know this is one of the purposes of trials in our lives, according to James chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 1. That's why James says, count it all joy when you encounter or enter into various trials. Not because you enjoy the pain. No, because you know the purpose of them. You really trust in the providence of God. The trial can be through a child. The, tr- the trials can be through sickness. It, it, all different shapes and sizes and kinds and, and where they come from. But the point is, this love is so strong that this trial, which Satan wants to use to destroy the marriage, when you're submitting under the providence of God and you see his purpose for your life, and you see his purpose for your trial, in the end, your marriage will be stronger as a result of that trial. So first, this love is strong love. Second, this love is a steady love. It's steady. The attachment is heart to heart. It's not shallow. It doesn't wax and wane with the feelings or the tide of beauty or external things. This love does not wax and wane with dress or with riches. It does not fluctuate with the emotions or the fleshly lusts. It's not like this. It's steady. Why? Because it's not driven by circumstances. Because this love is attached heart to heart. Because we have the same, the husband and wife has the same goal, has the same purpose in mind, and that is to exalt Christ in all things. So when things happen, we remain attached in the heart. To be steady means it's settled, it's planted. It's like an old oak tree. Its roots run deep in the soil into each other's hearts. The strength of their love and its steadfastness are rooted in the love that God has for them. So if you look at your wife, man, man, you got and she's she's a child of God. You've got to understand how much God loves her. And so you are supposed to reflect that love to her. Not your love to her, but how much God loves her. And you want to love her with that kind of love, so to speak. Make sense? Third, it's a constant love. This love is constant. Romans 13.8 says, uh, 13, yeah, 13, eight says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. We're always in debt. To love one another. It's a debt we cannot pay off. Does that make sense? That's what Rome, that's what Paul says in Romans 13. I love that. Oh, nothing to anyone except love one another. It is the one constant debt the husband and wife 
Well, we'll never stop paying each other. Amen? Fourth, this mutual love is the contented love. It causes the husband to settle in, to settle his affections upon his wife and see her as the finest woman in the world. Now, this love is unconditional, right? Things change. She changes. You change. The husband changes. Everybody changes. Sometimes we don't like the changes, but I'm talking external changes. But because we're knitted in the heart and we want to we love her and love him with the love of God, those changes just don't matter. I am settled. My love is constant. It's not fluctuating with the changes. It's steady. It's ongoing. Because I am to show the love of Christ to my wife or to my husband. The wife is to rest and settle her heart on her husband as the most fit man for her under the sun. This mutual love is so content, neither will seek affection from anybody else but themselves. According to 1 Corinthians 7.3, they will seek to fulfill their duty one to another. They will not seek other cisterns. They will not go to other creeks and get water. They will fulfill each other's needs physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. All four. All four. Fifth, this love is a forgiving love. Oh, man. As we continue to look at this diamond of God's love, we're looking at another aspect. It's called it's a forgiving love. It will overlook the defects of the other. Not only that, not just overlook, they'll cover the faults of the other. They will overlook each other's weaknesses, Cover each other's imperfections. In other words, regardless of what she does, he will always see her as his queen. She will always see him as her prince. That leads to the next one. This love is a healing love. Not only is it forgiving, it is healing. Now, there's times where in trials or just circumstances of life, this love and this marriage relationship is eclipsed. Okay? It, 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 it's getting hidden by something drastic or something bad that happens. Maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, even for weeks or months. And this love is like a bone that is out of joint. Okay? At that moment, neither, this love is so strong that neither is at ease. There's no moving forward. There's no work well done until this love this joint is set back in place again. That's where forgiveness comes in. That's why forgiveness leads to healing. For example, they don't stay angry with one another. All we have to do is go back in Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it before you go to bed. And we read that anger, but how often does this anger manifest itself in a marriage relationship? We get mad at one another. James says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You see, that's why we deal with it. So we ask for forgiveness. And, when that, and, then, and then we want to heal one another with forgiveness. In order to move forward, in order to do a work well done again, we are, not, we are not content, we are not settled until we deal with it and talk with one another and communicate with each other and sit down and cry together and pray together and put this whatever it is behind us. So that anger does not fester. Undealt anger results in unrighteousness. 
Seventh, this love is an intimate love. By this I mean it's close, it's friendly. This love is a uh, phileo love, it's, it's a friendship kind of love. Phileo is a Greek word for the friendly kind of love, a fellowship love. In other words, they desire to spend time with each other. This love is not just, it's not settled in cohabitation. It's, just, it's not happy. It doesn't find out because we live under the same roof or because we have the same children together. How many marriages do you know are held together because only the children are there? That is not the Christian marriage. A real test of a Christian marriage comes when the children leave. And what do mom and dad have in common at that point? 1 Peter 3, 7, I, I shared this with you last week, but I think it is very important for me to read it again. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't settle for cohabitation. Don't settle for her, well, we're under the same roof, we have the same kids, so i got to spend time with her. That does not make for the Christ-honoring Christian marriage. But you live with her, you understand her, you interpret her, you study her as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor. You honor her. You show her honor. You respect her, that word means. You respect her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I wonder how many prayers of a man, of a husband, have been hindered because he has not honored and loved his wife the way he should, to one degree or another. So it's an intimate love. They do not just pass by in the night. They don't exist for the children's sake. It's deeper than that. They are more than one flesh. They are one spirit. They not only have physical things in common, they have mental things in common. They have spiritual things in common. They are emotionally trying to be knit together in all things. Do we not think our wives would submit to that kind of love? They make time to pray together. They worship together, not just on Sunday mornings, but even in the home. They share scripture together. They have the same goal. And they share those goals. Starts with magnifying Christ. Finally, the last one about this love is we're looking at this diamond of love. It's a pure love. It's a pure love. They have a mutual obligation to keep, keep each other pure. Spiritually pure. Okay. Physically pure, of course. Even emotionally, we protect one another. Particularly the man is to protect her emotionally. They protect each other's eyes as well as emotions, right? My wife knows I need help with my eyes and my ears. And she does too. You do too. We all do. Does that make sense? And all God's people said, Amen. They, <laughs> so to speak, I read this quote keep the door of the relationship tightly closed. It means they keep their bed undefiled because it is precious and it is sacred. Sacred. Now, the second mutual duty flows from love, and it's this, helpfulness. Oh, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute. Back in Genesis chapter 2, Eve's called the helpmate. She's the one supposed to be helpful. Well, let me beg the question. Is not love out to help? Is not love kind? First Corinthians 13. This does not produce acts of kindness. If you would go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Do not love in word only, but in what? Deed and in truth. So the husband is to be a help, not just the wife. You see how I'm bringing these things together? 
It's a both and, not an either or. I'm trying to avoid this in marriage. Hey, you do your job. Don't worry about mine. <laughs> and vice versa. Instead of saying, wait a minute, we need to do this together. We're one. It's 100-100, not 50-50. Does that make sense? Let's look at this for a moment. We will wrap up. Yes. We got a clock back there for the first time. I shouldn't have told you all that in the middle of the sermon. That's just so wrong with me. You think at my age, I'd figure. Oh. First of all, to be helpful means to carry each other's load. Think of it that way. To help. So that's what's what's lighter. You help your wife. The wife helps up. You help each other to keep keep the, to yeah to keep each other's load to make it lighter. To help them with whatever's concerning them both, their bodies, their families, their reputations, their vocations, their possessions, is to help one another. They're <laughs> to help each other in times of difficulty, in days of sickness and adversity, sorrow and loss. They're to be a comfort and encouragement to one another. Let's talk about the name and reputation. I'm going to kind of wrap up with this this morning. Not only are they supposed to take care of each other physically, but what about taking care of each other's name and reputation? To help prevent each other from being ill thought of by others. You see where I'm going with this? How do we, we help one another in this area. How do we do that? Well, by concealing each other's weaknesses and faults. The husband and wife know each other better than anybody in the world, right? It's the closest relationship there is. Even closer than your children, the husband and wife. Okay? And in that process of, of relationship, in, in learning one another, you see the warts, you see the wrinkles. Yeah, those are just physical analogies of being spiritual warts and wrinkles. Emotional problem, you know, just across the board, okay? Intellectually, and, 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 and you see those faults that each one has, but you don't broadcast them. You cover them. You don't bring them up in the other's face. Does Jesus do that to us? No. He will on occasion, if there's sin in our life and he wants to deal with it, it's called conviction, but we know he doesn't because he loves us. We know of his goal in that endeavor. We've got to understand that every rose has thorns, don't we? Every rose has thorns. There is no wheat without some chaff to it, and there is no husband, and there is no wife without faults. In the marriage, the husband and wife's weaknesses and flaws should be matters of prayer and not gossip. So we protect one another by keeping our secrets our secrets and not broadcasting them to anybody else so that others will not feel ill will towards them. That's an important way in which we protect each other. First Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. And this should be no more evident than the marriage relationship itself. You see, the husband and wife should enjoy the security of that, shouldn't they? And the assurance that each other's faults are secure with the other. It's not going to be let out the can, so to speak. Now, I want to read this from one commentator. He points this out, quoting, he, How can a husband ever trust his wife, or a wife ever trust her husband, without this help? How can they not live at odds with one another when the other gives away those secrets to others? <clears throat> was not Samson angry when his wife gave away the secret to his strength? Therefore the husband and the wife had the duty of helping each other care for and protect each other from being ill thought of by 
others. End of quote. That was powerful for me. Finally, this duty of help should be most evident in spiritual matters. And we get that from our text as well. This morning, I think it was a topical sermon. Next week, we'll get back pouring into it, okay? But we get that simply in the verses that talk about the husband nourishing and cherishing his wife. And he can't do that without helping her, right? He, he is supposed to help just as much as she is. And beloved, this is just a sampling of the duty, of the mutual duty that a husband and wife have one to another. And with that, I want to leave you. And with that, we're going to pray. I'll ask Ron to come up and sing a song. And that will give our children and our teachers time to come back here. And then we will have communion together as a family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, thank you for, God, your word. This is so practical. And Lord God, it's very convicting. And that's a good thing. The Word of God is, is a two-edged sword. It, 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 it cuts me open, but only to deal with the wound that's inside. And then it covers me back up and heals me. And that's your intent. That's the purpose of your Word and the life of your children. A father to his sons and daughters in Christ. And for that, God, we are so thankful. I pray, dear God, as an under-shepherd of your sheep, Lord God, we would faithfully look at the scriptures and God allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and to shape our marriages, to further conform us and our marriages into the image of Christ. And so God, as we sing, may we not forget what we've just heard. May we not forget this portion of scripture. May we even long for more, but more important, dear God, may we long to be doers of the Word and not merely hearers only. God, maybe for some of us in this room, we're so convicted we need to go to our wife or go to our husband and talk out something, to ask for forgiveness, or maybe just simply just to, to strive a little bit more to honor Christ in our marriages. I know we're all at least there. But whatever it is, God, that we act upon what we've heard this morning. Because healthy families, dear God, Made for healthy churches, congregations. Healthy moms and dads. Made for a great discussion with our children for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May our marriages be billboards of Christ's love for his church and his church's submissiveness to his lordship and his authority. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless.